Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek. And I'm Ryan Cooper. Welcoming back to the show for, I think, the 47th time, uh, Jeff Spross. Hi, famous, everyone. Famous columnist, uh, writer, um, man about town, father. Sexiest, sexiest walk. He won that and, two years in a row. And a certain uh, future Secretary of Transportation um, in the Biden administration. So welcome to the show, Jeff. <laughs> I would I would love to be I would love to be secretary of transportation. That would be uh, fascinating, I'm sure. Yeah, my my understanding is that as in that I think position, I'd be better you, than Rom. Oh, yeah. You the secretary of transportation, from my understanding, has to uh, organize all of the, the the catering, you know, the the flights, um, you know, the the carpool and stuff for various, you know, administ- uh, staffers and so on. And uh, that just sounds like a fun job. I think bring I bring them do coffee, well that. make sure they have tea on the, the limo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, kick, to kick us off here, bullshit aside, um, Jeff, you've got a, a piece in the in the American Prospect, uh, the the publication we all know and love, um, talking about uh, you know the sort of broad political strategy for the um, the Biden administration, or you know, sort of tr- trying to make a make an advance an argument for what what Biden ought to be doing, uh, and it's sort of classic genre of of of, of post, but. Um, you you make an interesting observation that's maybe a good window into the into the argument that back in the day, uh, seniors didn't used to vote uh, in the same kinds of margins that they do now. And so can you explain to us what happened there and sort of what uh, that reveals about, um, you know, how, you know, elites should think about policymaking? Right. So one of the things I've been doing the last few months is I kind of went on this long uh, dive into a bit of political science literature. It's called policy feedback, which is like, you know, we usually think of the way policy gets created is like, you know, someone uh, voters get organized, they demand something, politicians get elected, they pass it. And what policy feedback deals with is like, well, if you have a policy, it gets passed. What does it do to the voters? Like, how does it change? Like who votes, who votes in what degree, how they get organized, that sort of thing. And, uh, one thing I drew on a lot was uh, the work by a woman named Andrea Campbell, and she wrote a whole book about Social Security. And the point she made was basically like, yeah, back when Social Security passed, like seniors were a non-entity as far as like voting goes. It's like today they're this like incredibly well-organized demographic that votes in incredibly high rates. Everybody wants their votes. Like it looked like it was kind of a major deal that like seniors went for Trump in 2016 and kind of flipped back to Biden in 2020. Uh, at least that was that was one of the stories leading up to the election. I'm actually I actually haven't looked into whether the exit polling bore that out. But anyway, point being, seniors used to not vote. And um, the point Campbell makes is that Social Security changed that in a few different ways. Um, first off, it gave them something to care about. Right. Like they were suddenly getting a check from the government. It was like it was the government telling them. We care about you, like your welfare is important to us, is important to society. And so that gave seniors a stake. It gave them 
a reason to feel seen. It gave them something to care about. It gave them a benefit to defend politically. It gave them a benefit they could try to expand. Um, beyond that, um, I mean, seniors were overwhelmingly in poverty before Social Security got passed. Poverty, it was like senior poverty dropped like a rock after Social Security was passed. Well, what happens then? Well, like if you're in poverty, I mean, you're stressed out all the time. This is one of the things we know is that like poverty just makes everything more difficult. And so they had money, which means they had more free time, which means they could pay attention to politics. Um, on top of that, money provides the ability to organize, to like create the you know the AARP and another thing you know we know is that like organized groups of voters have a lot more political impact than just like the same number of voters just acting as a mass of individuals um so Campbell's overall point was just like uh like social security and plus medicare later down the line is like largely the reason that seniors are a, dem a voting demographic powerhouse now is like these these policies brought them into the system um which like i said is kind of like the opposite causal arrow that we usually think of and so that that was kind of like the point i was trying to make with this one of the points i was trying to make with this piece was like you know there's something to learn from that there like you know we um you know, I, I know we all had our fingers crossed for Bernie um, and that didn't happen in the primaries. And like a theory behind Bernie Sanders primary was like if you advocate for like a, a social democracy, if you step up and say, I am going to do this, people will come out of the woodwork and vote for you. And it's, you know, you know, to what degree that happened, it didn't happen enough to get him over the hump and win the primary. Um, and then again, like, you know, there is the example I use in the piece with Biden's general election run. Like he explicitly said in debates with Trump that he supported a $15 minimum wage. $15 minimum wage wins by a very large margin in uh, Florida. And then Trump wins Florida. <laughs> it's like, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's like, how do you, how do you make sense of all these data points? And one of the things I, one of the things I just, I threw out in the piece and I think is true and that I've kind of come to believe, like trying to figure out what the hell happened to Bernie in the primary in 2020 is, um, a lot of coalition building happens as a result of the policies you pass. Like you pass the policies and that provides all those things that I talked about with social security to whatever demographic is getting the benefit of those policies. And then you kind of use that to build the coalition, right? Like you pass policies in a sense to build the coalition you want, as opposed to like building the coalition to get the policies you want. You have to do both. But I think we are under we are significantly underrating right now, like the importance of passing the policies to build the coalition you want. So the point I was trying to make in that piece is like, here's a list of policies that I think would. The other thing I should mention is that the the this political science literature on policy feedback also lays out the characteristics that a policy needs to generate those effects that I was talking about. So the point of the piece was, here's a number of policies that have those characteristics, and this is the kind of thing that the Biden administration should be focusing on if we want to, like, you know, keep building the Democratic coalition to either if we win the Senate in January, like build on that victory or like flip the Senate in 2022 and especially like flip Congress in 2024 and hold the White House in 2024. And to try to like build ultimately a democratic coalition that is big enough and powerful enough beyond that, that like I said in the piece, like the, that the GOP is forced to change course in order to remain a viable party. Cause I think right now, chances are the GOP is going to win again relatively soon, maybe in four years. And the chances that they run with someone who's like just as racist and authoritarian as Trump, but not nearly as stupid is pretty high. So 
that would be yeah. bad. <laughs> That's the end of the preview, folks. If you want to hear the whole episode, you can go to patreon.com slash left anchor. Thanks for listening. <laughs>